Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. So, first up, we'll have a look at the business stories, plus a few others that are making the weekend news. Joining me this morning are Linda Daly. She's a business reporter with the Sunday Times and Stephen O'Leary, the founder of Alitico. You're both very welcome to the programme. Hiya, Bobby. Um, Linda, we might start with you and take us to the front page of the Irish Independent. Uh, major airlines threatened to pull out pull Air, Dublin Airport flights. Uh, US Carriers Group in warning over the cap. This is starting to get momentum. It is, definitely. Yeah, this is a story by Caroline O'Doherty. Um, so she's kind of, I think she's trawled the applications to Fingal County Council and all the airlines wrote last week um, complaining about the lack of um, raising the cap from 32 million to 40 million. So you have the Airlines for America, Delta, um, IAG, Emirates, Egypt Air, Etihad have all come out and said they need to raise the caps. Yeah. Um, I suppose really it's you know, a debate between the climate worries and business. Um, I mean, if you, if you were to kind of believe what the the um, well, it's companies more than are business. saying, is it not economics? Well, economics, uh, yeah, yeah. In the sense that you know, I think we. Well, I'd certainly be of the view, uh, and I've heard the argument made that the planes that fly now, you know, they're more fuel efficient, and you know that they they claim now the green debate. As I say, it's hard to leave it to one side. But my own view is that, you know, like we're an island nation that's massively dependent on... And, you know, when people like... they The same article talks about three US companies, Apple, Microsoft and Google, responsible for one third of Ireland's corporation tax. If they start complaining... Yeah. We need to listen. It's yeah. my view. And I mean, look, there's there's mentioning of foregoing growth and, and Ireland is not alone. I mean, Copenhagen Airport um, is increasing its cap to 40 million as well. So, I mean, the argument is there. You know, I mean, people who live outside Dublin would say move the the flights to Shannon. But I mean, Dublin Airport is I, where I, the I don't know that argument stack in the sense that it's it's like, you know, telling you to go to somewhere you don't want to go. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it, it, in theory, it might be fine. Stephen, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, well, I think the best thing in this this report is actually the last line, which says the council have said an initial decision on the application is due later this month because time is absolutely of the essence here. You know, these organisations, these airlines, these large multinationals, they don't plan weeks or months in ahead, yeah. sometimes not even years. They're planning decades out in terms of growth and opportunity. And I think the thing, too, is that the decision is often framed in the wrong way. It's not a, a right or wrong decision here, right? There is a trade-off. If you're a local resident and there are more flights, it's going to be noisier, right? That is a that is a given. If there are more flights, it is going to be worse for the environment. But equally, what we're seeing here is these are not airlines who are saying, well, we're not going to fly anywhere instead. We're just going to They're going to somewhere move else. it somewhere else. So mm-hmm. the environmental impact doesn't dramatically change because those flights are going to land in another airport somewhere else instead. The real major impact here is on the economy and Taking that local residence piece, Aer Lingus have come out and reminded people that they employ 5,000 people in Ireland, the majority of whom work um, close to Dublin Airport. So you can be sure that Fingal County Council must have one eye on their local residents, not just from a noise point of view, but from an employment point of view. And looking at the numbers of people who work in that constituency and are directly or indirectly employed through business at the airport. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, and I think you're right to point out that at least we're getting a decision on it. So uh, the debate has been going on for long enough. Um, RTE continues to make the news. Prove you're better than D Forbes. 
uh, says the front headline of the uh, Irish Daily Mail. Uh, pressure mounts on Backhurst as chair of the media committee demands to know what exit package packages RTE chief has approved. Uh, Linda, your thoughts on this? Yeah, look, I mean, Kevin Backhurst gave everybody a great headline um, when he suddenly announced Breda O'Keefe's uh, 450,000 handshake and now there are three further ones. Um, I, I, I know people who work in RTE and I know that, you know, just focusing on them, that, you know, the, the employee morale is quite down. I know people who applied for redundancy um, lower paid people who applied for redundancy and were told no and have, have since left RTE. With and nothing. They, and with nothing, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, look, I think transparency is key. Um, there's a bit of backside covering, I'd say, within RTE at the moment and you know, it's just it's just a typical two-track system. The higher-ups get all the money and the lower-ups get nothing, you know. Um, well, that's <laughs> the way it appears. Yeah. Uh, and again, we, we may not know all the information here, but I, I do find it curious that Backhurst would release uh, the package uh, applicable uh, to Breed O'Keefe and not expect to be put under pressure to ask. Like, if he's, he's given half the answer... And, uh, you know, I, 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 I think he's going to have find it really hard not to come out uh, with that information. I have a degree of sympathy for Backhurst in this situation, right? In that, you know, he's in a situation where he's being asked and reminded that he's got privilege as per the, the interviews that are the, the, um, the Oireachtas meeting that happened. And he's being asked plainly, will you tell us? Um, and he answers in the moment. Now, he may not have planned to give that answer, but I can absolutely understand. I mean, he, he referred to it, the frustration he had, the legal pressure that they're under to get this report out. There has to be so many things that are stopping this from happening. But the one thing that comes through all of this is, like, this has to happen faster. Yeah. This, this kind of a thousand cuts element of drip by drip by drip by drip that's, that's, just that, that's drags really... it out. Yeah, and, and but I I don't know for some reason he or they seem unable to do that to actually put it all out there. This is it, lads. We screwed up. These are all the 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 the, the stuff that you'd be writing about for the next two years. Here they are. We're sorry. We've changed the team. The board's gone. This is the new RT. Off we go. I also think in in business when we think about the idea of an exit package, right? Just as a concept. You think about businesses that are performing well. You think about businesses that can afford to pay these things out. If you get to a point where you're making significant losses, then those two things absolutely jar as well. And I think anyone at home who runs a small business, a medium business, even a large business will know the financial pressure they're under. And this idea that those kind of payments can be made, I think, really jars. Okay, we'll move on. Uh, Only foolish people, Linda, expect the 2.24 billion children's hospital to be open in October. Am I a fool? Uh, You expect it, do you? (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) Well, look, I mean, I get the loos outside um, the hospital every day. And I mean, you know, a lot of the the scaffolding is down. The internal works are are under um, in progress. But this has been going on forever and ever. And Catherine Fegan in, in the Irish Independent um, is is talking about kind of, you know, the reason that the prices have gone up, the reasons for the delays, um, you know, so, so you know, there's a lot of controversy be- and, uh, um, between BAM and the government and BAM wanting to 
kind of up Who their the prices. Con- the main contractor there. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the fundamental premise of, of what Catherine Fagan's uh, article sort of alludes to is that, you know, basically we were designing the hospital on the fly. It was it was in motion and they had, didn't really know what they wanted. And whatever way the contract was set up, it seems to have played into the hands uh, of the de- of the person building it and developing it that they were able to charge for every turn on the road. And there's been every, every... And, you know, we know this from basic projects. Once you change your mind, you know, you're leaving the doors open to, to, to be, uh, you know, hit with a, a variations claim. And it works in the smallest job. It reminded me of an episode of Room to Improve, you know, where uh, Dermot Bannon goes in and says, it's going to cost this much. And then the QS says, well, you're adding this, you're adding that. And it just, the price just keeps going up. But unfortunately now at 2.24 billion, Stephen, this makes it one of the most expensive, probably the most expensive hospital in the world. Yeah, I have mixed feelings on this because, I mean, when you, Boil this right mm. back down. This is a children's hospital. There's there are there's an argument that there's almost no other piece of infrastructure in the country we should be investing more in. Yeah. Right? I think if you asked people uh, on a on a top 100 things in the country, from roads to railways to schools, right through, where would a children's hospital sit for the sickest young people in the country? Then it has to be at the top of the list. So I think. But equally, Stephen, sorry to interject, but equally, it respecting that fact. You don't want the money to be spent badly. No, you don't. Because it's in the best interests of hopefully the children of the country. Absolutely. But we also know, again, anyone who's been involved in a, in a project, an infrastructure project, you can have the best planning, the best design in the world. There will come points during the build where you recognise that there's an improvement that could be made. Now, you can stick rigidly to the plan and say, well, we're not changing it. We have a budget. Do not spend that extra 100 million because this is our budget and we're sticking to it. And then afterwards, rue the decision because it has negatively impacted. Like this is not a building for five years or 50 years. This is a building for 100 years. And I think in 10 years time, we're going to look back at the budget for this building when budgets for similar buildings are going to be four, five, six times as much and kind of go, what on earth were we squabbling about? Why did we not just get on with it, build it and open it up for the kids? Let me bring it to to Cliff Taylor's piece in today's Irish Times. He says that uh, the most notable thing about the news on the National Children's Hospital this week was not that it was going to cost another 500 million. That was entirely predictable. No, what was most striking was how relaxed everybody is about throwing another half a billion into the pot. Go back to the foundation of the state, right? And think about Ardna Crusha as a project. Think about the politicians in the 20s and 30s in Ireland, right? Who decided to spend 20% of our GDP on a project to generate electricity, right? Like this number, it sounds big, but honestly, there's going to be five and a half thousand rooms in this. It's literally going to transform the country for a generation of children into the future. I, I think we're going to look back at these conversations and these these conversations about numbers in the future and kind of go, why were we making such a big deal of this? And actually, this is going to deliver more value than we can possibly fathom. I, I know now why you're not the Minister for Public <laughs> Expenditure, I can tell you that. <laughs> I think you're being a bit generous there, you know, there has to be checks and balances. So. Very interesting. Let's move to a business story because uh, the Web Summit revenues uh, are on all, all over today's papers. The Web Summit's revenues rise, but profits fall as staff benefit from a pay bump. Interesting revenue up, uh, profit way down, 
but but uh, numbers of people employed way down, uh, even though. So it looks like, and again at a at a very macro level, it looks like. Uh, the people who are there being paid more. That's what it reads as. Yeah, so look, if you're an employee of WebSummit, this should be good news because what we're reading here is that there's been a significant increase in salaries as a line item uh, within the accounts for 2022. So, you know, right across the board, the 250 staff should be seeing more money um, uh, in their pockets. Now, this does talk to the power of headlines because WebSummit profits down 90%, right? It, it sounds shocking and it fits maybe a narrative from the last six months in terms of the organisation and um, and how it was run. But the two are unrelated. These are the 2022 accounts. So actually, this has nothing to do with yeah. anything that happened in 2023. And in truth, these are incredible numbers. So despite the fact that 21 was a COVID year, revenues up 65% year on year, a record year for it. Staff are getting paid more. The weird part in all of this is that Catherine Marr reported on the numbers but wasn't there for any of the work that led to these numbers. And in fact, won't be there when the 2023 numbers are reported early next year as well. Yeah, so I think in truth, this is a really good news story for an Irish business. Um, the appointment of Catherine Marr was announced as a great, I suppose, watershed and a new uh, vision for the business. Surely the fact that she's only stayed a few months is is damaging no matter what way one looks at it for whatever her reasons are for moving on and we don't know what they are. But what would you think, Linda? Well, she's gotten a big job at NPR in the States. That's Um, good enough reason. You'd have to imagine that that was in train for a while, you know, that there were some um, job interviews to be done. Look, I mean, look, these accounts were in 2022. um, They were before Paddy Cosgrave's troubles on Twitter. Paddy Cosgrave's the CEO. um, Former CEO. Former CEO, apologies. And also um, they were before Qatar came in. So the the event in Qatar now is is due um, later on this month. It's being reported that he's getting the website someone is getting 20 million to hold that there. So, you know, I mean, I wouldn't worry too much about the Web Summit, but it'll be interesting to see who comes in to take over Catherine Marr. I think Stephen is right, though, to say that 52.5 million is, it's it's serious turnover in anybody's language. Tell us about Eli Lilly, Stephen. Uh, vying now to join the one trillion club with this weight loss drug. Um, and they're based down in Cork, as we know. Um, but this... This weight loss drug is, it's it's transformative and the stock market seems to be alert to this. Yeah, and it's interesting even here, this is being referred to as a weight loss drug. In truth, it's not, right? I mean, that's not what this drug was designed for. This is a diabetes drug. Um, It's what it was conceived for. It's had an incredible impact on people with diabetes. But the realisation has occurred, and we're seeing this right across particularly the US markets, that this drug has a massive impact when it comes to, to weight loss. And the results are undeniable. I mean, there is, you know, thousands of results available that shows the impact of this. Now, it's still a very new industry. It's an emerging category of drugs. And so there's a lot more tests that need to be done in terms of the medium to long term impacts of taking drugs like this. But there's no denying the impact this is going to have. And in the case of Eli Lilly, you know, there's talk that they may become a trillion dollar company. And at the moment, they're the only, they're second, I think, only to uh, Berkshire Hathaway in terms of non-tech companies with a higher market cap. So like the the market are incredibly excited about the potential for this, but we're seeing more broadly GLP-1s, this whole category of drugs, you know, they're going to have a huge impact uh, on markets for, for years to come. Okay.
Uh, Linda, US company bosses losing the battle to get office workers uh, working on Fridays. I think this ship has has, has sailed. Uh, this horse has bolted. Yeah, I mean, they're using all the jargon to get the people back into the office flow Friday, focus Friday, flex Friday. So the idea is that um, if they introduce this occasional long weekend, one weekend a month, that people will be more likely to come back into the office. But don't we, think so. No, don't think so. And also, the, um, the argument is that even if you are working in the office, you may not be um, as productive as the other days in the week as well. So, I mean, they can try their best. Yeah, it's interesting to see the the, the, the two, I suppose, uh, opposite positions that companies are taking on that. But very few taking the hard line because I think... I think it, the game is over. Well, you know, in Olitico, we have a four and a half day work week. Yeah. So we've read the research, we've listened to our teams and we've realised we can get just as much done in four and a half days instead of five. So we actually take a four and a half day work week every week. Uh, Linda, who gets the plane armrest? Is it acceptable to recline your seat at 40,000 feet up in the sky? An interesting piece on uh, airline etiquette in the uh, Irish Mail today. Yes, yes. And um, if, if it was me, I would say never recline your seat and think of people around you. Yeah. And I think those people who do recline their seat are on the selfish side of life. <laughs> but then, there's, you know, I suppose the reclining seat is there. It's, it, it, I, I, I always think... You know, fine, there's maybe a time you do it, you don't do it during the meal, you don't do it at the start and you do it very gently whenever you do decide to do it. But in my world, it's okay to do it well, I would because say, it's there. I would say maybe, you know, in the night time, you know, when it's a, if it's a nighttime flight. But yeah, when you walk into a seat and the person in front of you has, has already reclined the seat, oh, yeah, I would never say anything to them, but I would think the worst of them. <laughs> Stephen, what annoys you about airline travel? Yeah, I, I, the piece in this I like is what annoys the cabin crew, right? Yeah. You know, the, the lines. And what this comes back to is just basic empathy, right? You know, when the, when the airline come, crew are, come down to ask you what you'd like for your meal, know what you're going to order. Don't look at the menu for the first time at that stage. So just be mindful. I think that's the, the simple answer here. All right, we'll leave it there. Uh, thanks for a great review of the business stories. Linda Daly uh, from the Sunday Times and Stephen O'Leary from Politico. Uh, thanks for a great, a great review of the business stories. Down to business with Bob. Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.